0: And understand why it is in a country that supposedly is a democracy with leaders elected who are supposed to represent us that when 92% of Americans feel that we need to do something about this problem, absolutely nothing has been done. That is the real issue we're faced with here. And that's what everybody ought to be asking themselves. Why is it it hasn't happened?
1: It's really important for people to figure out ways if they retire to stay active and to do things that are not as passive as you described but also uh, will give their life some meaning meaning is something that's really important that's retired u.s general peter chiarelli followed by
2: dr eric larson clinical professor at the university of washington school of public health Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. What was General Chiarelli referring to when he said that 92% are in support? A. 92% of the people want Donald Trump to take a long vacation to Mar-a-Lago and never come back. B. 92% think the Seahawks will win the Super Bowl. C. 92% think homelessness will be solved in 2019 or... D, 92% believe in gun control. Any one of those choices would be desirable, but the answer is D, gun control. I attended a downtown Seattle Rotary Club meeting, and General Chiarella and conservative talk show host and founder of the Washington Policy Center, John Carlson, debated gun control. This is one of those debates that is so worn out, but I decided to attend because a retired general was arguing for gun control. I thought that was pretty compelling. I remember driving to lunch on December 14th, 2012, and listening in horror to the slaughter of children at Sandy Hook. I said to myself then, if this doesn't prompt further federal restriction on guns, nothing will. Well, many mass shootings and thoughts and prayers and meaningless candlelight vigils later, we are still at the same place arguing, common-sense approaches. Now, here's a stat that is absolutely stunning. There were 38,000 gun deaths in the United States in 2017. In Japan, there were three. That's right, three. One, two, three. Who has a better handle on this? I had Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer with Seattle Children's, talking about childhood diseases recently. He raised the issue of gun violence in children. I will replay his observations again today. And Dr. Eric Larson is considered an expert in aging, and he has some very interesting things to say about what we can do to age more successfully. Dr. Larson wrote a book called Enlightened Aging, Building Resilience for a Long and Active Life. Back with my interview with Dr. Larson in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
2: Dr. Eric Larson, a clinical professor at the University of Washington School of Public Health and Health Services, is with me. He is an expert in the aging field, and he recently wrote a book called Enlightened Aging, Building Resilience for a Long Active Life. I had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Larson prior to his speech at the Rotary Club in downtown Seattle. My first question before we got into things that you can do to age more successfully, what is the latest research into Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and what do we know about Alzheimer's disease that we didn't know, let's say, 30 years ago?
1: Well, what we know is that it's very common, and it's driven by age. The older people become, you know, over time, the greater the risk. Uh, a 50-year-old person like your mom is very unusual. That's like 0.01% of cases. But when you hit 75, 80, and especially 85, the rates go up pretty dramatically. <clears throat> and we also know that a lot more about that biochemistry, And we also know that in older people, it's not just Alzheimer's disease, but it's a series of other insults that accumulate in the brain. So little strokes, things called Lewy bodies, along with the so-called plaques and tangles of Alzheimer's disease are, are, are very common. And one of the reasons that's important is that so far, we've not found any good way to prevent the plaques and tangles but we can possibly prevent the vascular component of brain aging. One of the things that we've found in the last, really, five, six years, is that in some countries, especially advanced western countries, the rates are going down, and that's primarily because we've controlled vascular risk, and we've also built up what, what I call brain reserve through better education and better general health in early life and throughout the life course.
2: When we read and we've heard over the years that you keep in your active mind, like doing crossword puzzles and staying active, exercise and things like that. Those are all good, of course. I mean, just from just living your lifestyle. But does that do anything for a hedge on, let's say, dementia and Alzheimer's?
1: I think it does. I think it does. I, I don't think that you can specifically stop the plaques and tangles by doing crossword puzzles. But you can, you can get better at it if you practice it as opposed to not if you don't and with regard to exercise it looks like exercise affects a part of the brain called the hippocampus which is where memory lives and seems to enhance the ability of the hippocampus to not shrink and become less effective over time and uh, it's a lot there's some debate in this but by and large uh, if there is any one magic bullet it's probably habitual exercise to reduce a person's risk of Alzheimer's.
2: Great. Um, What other things have you uncovered about Alzheimer's over the years that surprised you in dementia and things like that, that, that maybe the general public doesn't know about?
1: We didn't really understand how to deal with the challenges of memory loss, and more importantly, the challenges of some of the behavior changes that happen with Alzheimer's disease now we're much better at accepting some of these changes as not something you try to correct in a person but you actually try to work with that person from where they are and you avoid some of the catastrophic uh uh problems that that can happen because of are giving people drugs that sedate them uh, and have side effects or uh, uh, cause people to become agitated because you're trying to say now, you're not right, it's, it's not Monday, it's Tuesday. It, you know, some of those things are, are now kind of common sense. And the other thing we learned with the early work is that uh, there are certain drugs which make dementia worse or actually look like dementia. We, we're now avoiding those more, more often than not. And then the other thing is there's an awful lot of people who become demented very late in life and they're not unhappy. They don't have a dis ease, even though they have a disease. And I think over time we begin to understand that a little bit better.
2: How about like medication management that's been called, and I've heard this for years, and that's like, let's say, seniors taking five, six, seven, even ten or twelve. Uh, drugs at a time and these interactions that come into play how much uh, do you think that's a factor in this
1: uh it it depends on this, on the place it's, it, it probably varies all over the map but one of the most important papers that i ever wrote was a paper called adverse drug reactions causing cognitive impairment in the elderly where we showed that the most common reversible cause of dementia were drugs from sedatives to opiates, to uh, certain kind of hypertensive or blood pressure drugs that were in use in those days. And I think that we're getting better because of increased awareness, but it's always out there, because as our brains become older and a little less able to be resilient, uh, we're more prone to adverse effects of drugs. So one of the best things uh, a person can do either as a doctor or as a family member or as an individual is to say, can I go over my drugs? Do I really need all these drugs? And there have been now some studies on so-called deprescribing showing that you can stop drugs and there's no adverse consequences. How
2: about retirement? The age is kind of sixty-five years old <clears throat> and people say I'm going to retire. Do you think that that sort of shift in your mindset, going from an active life and then watching reruns of Madlock and things on TV and things like that, and you kind of really go into a really sedate type of world environment, mm-hmm.
1: does that affect? Do you believe? Um, I think dementia? so. I think so. I think you know it's really important for people to figure out ways, if they retire, to stay active and to do things that are not as passive as you describe, but also uh, will give their life some meaning. Meaning is something that's really important. There's a really interesting study that was done uh, using the age of retirement that's the social policy of eight or nine different countries and if you looked at a common memory or cognitive test across those eight or nine countries the earlier the date of retirement or the age of retirement the lower the score in that country's population. So it's, it's in an economics journal, of all, of all things, making the point that there is some value to nourishing your brain with, with work. Of course.
2: Final question, because we're running out of time for you. And that is, uh, do you think we'll ever find a cure for like Alzheimer's or is that something that is too many factors?
1: Uh, that's a, r- a really good question. <clears throat> and uh, if you mean a cure, can we can we absolutely prevent it or once a person gets it, uh, it can be uh, having no, no effect on them like we can cure or prevent uh, can- some cancers and, and prevent polio? I don't think so. I mean, there's just so many things going on in the brain that uh, it's really complicated. And any... One of my points is there is no one magic bullet for this condition and many other conditions of aging. But you can do a lot to make the situation better. And what would be a
2: couple final things that you would say? We've talked about some, but you hit on something right there before we go. In terms of what can people do
1: to make the situation better? I think you start off by by learning what the science has taught us. You start off by observing how people have been more or less successful as they age, and then you add these elements of, uh, we call it proactivity, acceptance, and building the three reserves, mental, physical, and social reserves, which build up your cognitive reserve and hopefully will stave off the cognitive decline as long as possible.
2: As Dr. Eric Larson clinical professor at the University of Washington School of Public Health and Health Services. I attended a meeting of the uh, downtown Seattle Rotary Club, and on this particular day, they had a debate on gun control. Retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli, argued for increased gun control measures and John Carlson from the Washington Policy Center and conservative talk show host argued against. First you will hear John Carlson talking about reasons for not having more gun control followed by a response from General Peter Chiarelli.
3: There's four things that we want to do, need to do, if we want to get a handle on gun violence in this country, whether it is criminal, whether it's by suicide, whether it's by mass shooting. The first I already mentioned, and that is dramatically increase the penalties on people who steal firearms or who sell them. The second, and this is a long time in coming, we have got to ease confinement standards for the violently mentally ill in this country. Uh, There are a lot of people who, for their own good and for the safety of others, uh, should simply be given in the name of compassion for them. Uh, Three meals a day, ongoing care, not just left to wander the streets at night. I get up in the middle of the night to do my show, I drive through downtown, and it's so tragic. It's so sad seeing people who might not even know where they are or what they're doing, just (laughs) roaming and staggering. Surely something should be done for these people. The third is that briefly, we need to find practical ways To keep mentally ill people from accessing firearms, and I think it means presidential leadership and from Congress to make it happen. And and fourth, rather, uh, suicide prevention measures on a very proactive basis. Thank you very much. Thank you, John.
2: Retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli. I would responds. ask you to look
0: at this debate to, to, and, and, and move up to the 40,000 foot level. Move away from the fringes, as Mark told us to do. Look at it in totality and understand why it is in a country that supposedly is a democracy with leaders elected who are supposed to represent us that when 92% of Americans feel that we need to do something about this problem, absolutely nothing has been done. That is the real issue we're faced with here. And that's what everybody ought to be asking themselves. Why is
3: it it hasn't happened? All right. round of applause. Thank you guys. That's
2: John Carlson speaking for no further measures for gun control and a response from retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli. at the downtown Seattle Rotary meeting and caught up with retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli after the presentations. I spoke about my pessimism after the Sandy Hook slaughter in December of 2012 and my reaction at the time was if this doesn't bring gun control to the forefront to ban assault weapons for background checks and all of the things that the vast majority of Americans think need to be done to bring sensible gun control, it won't happen if this doesn't move the needle. I asked General Chiarelli what he thought.
0: I totally agree. I mean, I think you have to look at this as a much larger issue than gun control. I mean, it's not just that 92% of Americans want something done. If you go all the way down the line of the questions you can ask about this, it's a large majority of Americans from both Republican and Democrat want things done to control these. And and I think you really have to look at this, this much larger issue of how can we be so almost unanimous in wanting things to happen and That's not have it That's my question.
2: That's what I'm saying with the Sandy Hook. If it's not going to happen now, it's never going to happen. So I'm total pessimistic. I didn't want to yeah, come well. to this today because it's the same old arguments turnover. We'll probably have a mass shooting in the next two weeks and then they'll say, well, you know, the same old arguments go. It's just kind of like you hit a point and go, what's it going to take?
0: I, I honestly think things are changing. I think, I think the composition of Congress is changing. I think as more millennials uh, make their way in, in, into uh, representing uh, us in Congresses, uh, in Congress and, and in state legislatures, you're going to see a, a change in this. I think we just have to keep beating the drum and, and, and no one wants to get rid of the Second Amendment. We understand the importance of
1: it. At the same time,
2: we can be sensible about its application. Mark's a good friend of mine, and he did a great job today. When he says about the fringes on both sides, I sometimes think we get lost in that. I'm for gun control, and so many people I know, we hang around our own tribes, but there's not one person that I know that says, you shouldn't have a gun. If you want one, you should be able to hunt. You should be able to do all that. I think that's a little bit false equivalence. I spent
0: 40 years in the military, and that's the last thing I'm ever going to say. But when, when we start talking about you know, mental health tests, and you don't understand how difficult it is to make that distinction it's not like going in and and somebody in fact taking an x-ray and saying you have a tumor to try to make the determination and to draw that line about when you're going to take away that second amendment right and when you're not going to take that second amendment right it is a red herring that people continue to throw up what we really need to do is close the loopholes when it comes to registration and background checks on weapons. In all the states, not just in the few of the states like Washington that has been
2: a leader in this area. We've, we've got to do it everywhere across the country. That's retired U.S. Army General Peter Chiarelli. Well, I'm certainly glad that he left with some optimism with maybe a swing in the voters in this country, but sensible gun control can't happen soon enough. Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer of Seattle Children's, was a guest on my show, Voices of Experience, and we were talking about the latest in research for curing childhood diseases. Now, in the course of that conversation, and not prompted by me, he brought up gun violence against children as being a public health crisis. Since we are talking about gun control today, I'm going to play a small segment of what Dr. Picaro had to say
0: trauma and accidents still kill a lot of children and in fact it, in adolescence, death by gun is one of, is in the top 5 causes of death believe it or not we don't approach it in any way shape or form like that because of the whole political issue certainly it is in 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 medicine this is one of the biggest views of a public health emergency i guarantee you If children were dying of any other illness at the rate they die of gun violence, that
2: society would be totally on top of getting rid of it. Dr. Mark Del Picaro, Chief Medical Officer at Seattle Children's.
1: I think our biggest problem over the next 20 years or so is going to be handling the huge number of people who will seek to come here. Uh, Washington State and Seattle as its biggest city are now well known internationally. Uh, We're not just a sleepy little uh, northwest uh, backwater. Uh, And and Seattle has sort of become a, uh, a new favorite. Uh, city uh, in the minds of many people, both here and abroad, I think we're gonna have a tough time. Nationally, a country much more diverse than it is today, and we're gonna have to pay a whole lot of attention to how we assimilate and, and how we work together uh, in, a, in an increasingly diverse nation and keep the strengths and the drive that
2: we've had up to now. That's former Governor and U.S. Senator from Washington State, Daniel J. Evans. And I had that interview with him over 20 years ago on Voices of Experience when I was broadcasting it another time. A lot of people have vision, and he is one that does. He was known for that as governor and U.S. senator. But listen to what he said. He was saying that Seattle was going to be growing by leaps and bounds. Amazon wasn't even an entity then. And uh, Starbucks was far from really growing into what it is today, but he could visualize the number of people that were coming here and is probably paying attention to a lot of people throughout the world in his travels to see that Seattle was really becoming quite a place. So he mentioned that we have a tough time dealing with it with all the different people coming here and assimilating to this area, and he was certainly right about that.
0: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
2: That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. I would like to thank Dr. Mark Del Picaro, former governor and US Senator Daniel J. Evans, from an interview I had with him from over 20 years ago, and of course, General Peter Chiarella for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. One more incredible statistic, they're not statistics, they're people, but I wanna refer to the Las Vegas massacre that occurred on October 1st, 2017, when an individual by the name of Steve Paddock thought it was appropriate to check out a few rooms and then uh, bring in 14 AR-15 rifles, 8 AR-10 rifles, and something called Bumstock, which which just allows you to shoot more bullets in a quicker period of time. That's for the layman, and that's who we are. He fired 1,100 rounds in 10 minutes, killing 58 people and injuring 851. What has happened since then on the federal level to tighten gun control? Absolutely nothing. What does this say about our country? I ask the question. Next week, Voices of Experience will air on Christmas Day. I will lighten things up considerably. I interviewed the founder of something called the Moisture Festival. His name is Ron Bailey, and I went to his home in West Seattle. The Moisture Festival is as much a part of Seattle as grunge in the 1990s. The only difference is that you probably haven't heard of the Moisture Festival, but I hope that changes for you on next week's show. It is made up of vaudeville acts, juggling, acrobats, comedians, and and so much more. It has been going on in the Fremont area since 2004, If you want to find out more about this and what the Moisture Festival is all about, if you don't have a chance to listen to next week's show, you can go to moisturefestival.org. That's moisturefestival.org. And by the way, they are having a New Year's Eve party at Hale's Palladium on Leary Way in Fremont. The Moisture Festival starts in March of 2019. You can find out all about that by, again, visiting their website, moisturefestival.org. Now, if you want to listen to any show for the last year and a half, Google KKNW and then click through to archives. At the bottom of the page, you can click on the Voices of Experience and you have found the right place. You can listen to past interviews that include former host of NPR's All Things Considered, Robert Siegel, shows that I did on homelessness several weeks ago, which included a visit to the Bread of Life mission in Seattle's Pioneer Square, and chicken soup for the sole author and entrepreneur, Mark Victor Hansen. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. Give me a call at 206-459-5536. If you want to talk about anything regarding the show, that's 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week.